As you're sitting, I just want to remind you guys of one other thing that's coming up is um, for the last two years, we have done a, a discipleship class called SLS. And um, it's, it's designed to train people to uh, disciple others one-on-one. And that's going to be coming up again in March. The last session, we opened it up to men and women, and this session will be opened up to men and women as well. And so keep that in mind and watch for the more details to come. And Don Gordon and myself would love to work with you and to train you um, in how to disciple other people in Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, as we come to Luke 8, and I know we're just picking up, we're not in the book of Luke as a whole. I, we, just, we get to the point where Jesus has just returned from the east side of the Sea of Galilee, where if you know the passage or you know your scriptures, you know it was there that he healed this demon-possessed man that had been possessed by multiple demons. And so you could just imagine what that was like. And the demons knew, they knew who Jesus was. And so that's the passage where they ask to be cast into this herd of pigs. And of course, the pigs, you know, the story went rushing down the bank into the Sea of Galilee and they drowned. And we read there that all the people, it says, surrounding that region asked Jesus, leave, because they were seized with great fear. So now we come to chapter eight and we pick up that story. That's what just happened in the flow here. And returning to Capernaum, that is the town that Jesus made his home base when he ministered, we get a real different response, don't we? The crowd there is not saying, leave Jesus. They're saying, come on, welcomed him, as they had been waiting for his return. And from our reading, we saw that our passage has to deal with these two miracles, a 12-year-old girl that dies and a woman who had had this problem with bleeding for 12 years of her life. And so it has to do with two miracles on healing. Luke frames it, if you will, just so you can kind of get your hands around it, like a sandwich. And so he starts with Jairus' daughter. He'll end with that story as she passes away and is brought back to life. But then in between, we get this account of this woman, this lady who had been healed of a condition of bleeding for 12 years. And so the account begins and finishes with that, with this 12-year-old girl. Uh, But it places this woman right in between there. And I wonder if for Luke, he didn't have a special interest in this because remember, Luke is a physician. And so I wonder if um, he kind of sat up and paid attention to the events and the details of this story um, because it would have no doubt been of great interest to him. So no sooner had Jesus arrived And the disciples are, of course, with him at this time. He is met by this welcoming crowd that had great need among them. And Jairus, who we're told was the ruler of the synagogue, verse 41, he comes up to Jesus with a great need. And not every town had a synagogue, if you will. Some were too small. There was a requirement of how many uh, Jewish men you had to have to form a synagogue. But Capernaum had one. If you've been to the Holy Land, no doubt you've been taken to the ruins of that synagogue and you've seen them. But Jesus had 
been in this synagogue. This is where he healed the man with the withered hand. And they accused him of working on the Sabbath. That's in Luke 6.6. And as a synagogue ruler, Jairus, he would have been responsible for the service that would have been conducted in there. All the activities that took place around the synagogue. It was the focal point, if you will, of the Jewish religious life. He was a respected leader. He was knowledgeable of the Old Testament. He was a devoted Jew, if you will. And again, if you've been there, this was never a great big city, if you will. And so you could imagine the intimacy of that city and people knowing each other. And so now, one in that system, if you will, comes, verse 14, Jairus, falling at Jesus' feet, imploring him to come to his house as his only daughter is dying. And we can, prep, we can pass that so easily if we want to, but no family who has ever had a severely sick child will ever pass that passage over. They know like nobody else knows what's it like. They know the pain. They know the questions that arise. They know the concerns that are filled with fear when one of their children is ill. Their precious little child is sick. And so Jesus goes. Very interesting, isn't it? He heads. He says, let's go if you, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Verse 42. And the people, what does it say there? They pressed around him. And so picture the scene, if you will. You know, I always say this. I repeat myself. You got to put yourself into the scripture. You got to picture it. You're there. And so there's this large crowd. They all want to get as close as possible to Jesus, or at least as close as possible to see if he's going to do anything like they already know that he does, the miracles and stuff that he performs. And one person is touching another I get the impression that there's little, if any, gap between people. And so you think of a time where you've been in line for something, waiting a, a crowd, a concert, whatever it might be. And that's kind of the scene that we get here as these people are just jammed in, if you will. And so heading to Jairus's home, it's an urgent matter to him, a crisis to his family. And I say this respectfully, but it's not a crisis to Jesus. Jesus knows all things. He holds all power. He knows what is going to happen, what he is going to do. And so he's headed to Jairus' house, but he stopped. And who had, uh, this woman who had not been able to stop bleeding for 12 years comes up to him and interrupts his um, where he was headed, if you will. And again, we can pass over that if you want, but it, it meant days and weeks and months of inconvenience, of shame in that, in that culture, of loneliness, if you will, as a lady. Some say if she was married, there was a good chance she'd have been divorced because of all this that happened. There would no doubt be physical pain, uncleanness, and being seen as an unclean person. And to that, verse 43 says, she had spent all her living on physicians and she, not, she could not be healed anymore. And Mark's account in Mark 5, 26 says, she suffered much under many physicians, spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. And so no wonder Mark's gospel, Mark 5, 27 and 8, we read, she had heard the reports about Jesus. Let me tell you, her ears perked up when she started hearing about Jesus. And she came up behind him in that crowd that day. 
And she touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. That's faith. That's incredible faith. She doesn't need to sit down with Jesus. She doesn't need to go into anything else. She, she doesn't even need to be recognized by him. She just says, if I could just touch his garment, I'm going to be made well, she says. And on the one hand, you can picture a child doing that, can't you? Children play game. They touch you. They run. Who touched you? But with this, there's, it's not a game. This is a woman who had suffered for 12 years. Every hour, every day with this condition of uncontrolled bleeding. And we know she's desperate in those words and her actions because she says, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. The NET translation in Matthew's account, 921 says, for she kept saying to herself. And that's the idea here, you guys, in the Greek, that it wasn't just, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. The idea is she kept saying that. If I touch his garment, if I touch his garment, I'm going to be made well. I'm going to be made well. And so that's what she does. Look at verse 44. It says that she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus, as all men those days, would have been wearing this flowing gown, if you will. You've seen movies that have portrayed this. And oh, so you understand that you could picture what men in those days dressed like very different than what we dress like today. But it would have been covering pretty much the whole body, except for you'd see the feet with the sandals. On the bottom end, edge, there'd be this fringe, especially on the priest, is on a, a person like Christ. And the fringe would have been these tassels on each corner of the garment. And that was commanded in the law. Deuteronomy 22.12 tells us that. And the idea between, because of that was this, to remind the one who wore the garment, obey the law. Obey God's word. Well, it says she touched the friends and garment. And the Greek suggests it wasn't a tap. It wasn't a touch. It wasn't just a glance. But she grabbed that edge of his garment. She clutched it is the idea in the Greek there. It's the same thing in John 20, 13, when Mary goes to that tomb this morning and it's empty. And all of a sudden, she, she doesn't realize she's talking to Jesus, but she thinks it's the gardener. And she says, tell me where you laid him that I might go there. And what happens there? Uh, Jesus says to her, Mary, it's me. And as she clings to Jesus in John 20, 17, what does Jesus say? Do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. It's the same word here. Touch, don't cling. And, and here she is clinging to Jesus. And again, we'd have to say probably not for very long but at least long enough that he knew. And again, she wants to make sure that whatever she is believing that if she touches his garment, then I will be made whole. I think she's saying a mere glance isn't going to do. I need to grab that garment and make sure that whatever is in this man can come into my life and possibly heal me. And so she's tired. Think about that. She's worn out. She is a shamed woman. She's a desperate woman. She comes up through the crowd, probably unnoticed by anyone, and she grabs that corner of Jesus' garment. And I love the picture. Because you know what she's doing? She has grabbed God in the person of Jesus Christ. 
she has grabbed God's word where healing proceeds from. And now she's laid hold of the one who said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's a great word for you and I this morning. When's the last time we have grabbed God? Did you grab God this week? I hope you did. You know, if you didn't, then I'm reminding you, you missed out. You got to grab God every single week, don't you? Are you telling me that your life was so smooth this week that there was no need to grab God? Well, come to my world. <laughs> but I love that picture. She grabbed God. She grabbed God's word. She grabbed everything he was, didn't he? And don't miss this. Don't let your thoughts again run past what takes place here. It may not be your life, but there's a woman here that we might very well meet someday in heaven had just had her life changed forever. That's kind of fun to think about, isn't it? We think, oh, when we get to heaven, we're going to see Christ. That's exciting. We also think, oh, we're going to see some loved ones. That's exciting. But you ever thought about maybe this woman? And maybe we'll be able to have a conversation with her. Oh, I know your story. Tell it to me firsthand. And again, I'm just saying that. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. So don't come up to me afterwards and Scott say, that wasn't biblical. <laughs> but again, she was changed. And notice that she had gone from misery, from shame, from pain, to wholeness, to joy, and to peace. And notice again, don't pass over verse 44. Look at that word. Immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. Instantly. It wasn't like a healing that took place over the day or the week or the month. It happened the minute she touched his garment. That's a miracle. The power of God had just moved from one with all power to one who desperately needed that power. And it should cause us to have one of two reactions. One, God, you are so good. I worship you. Or God, I am so desperate. I need to cling to you, to clutch you. Please touch me also. And so verse 45, it says, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter, of course, we'd expect nobody else to speak up other than Peter, right? Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are, you pr and are pressing in on you. And translation, Lord, many people are bumping into you. How can we possibly know who it is that just touched you? Don't you realize all types of people are touching you? Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And the woman knew that she had been healed instantly, the instant she had touched Jesus. And Jesus knew immediately that power had gone out from him to this lady. And again, it isn't our focus this morning. But here you have to understand, and this is what the beauty of Scripture is, we see the deity of Christ right here. He is not just man. He holds that office, if you will, of becoming fully man, but he's always been and always was fully God. Colossians 2.9 says that for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so here, what do we see? We see his supernatural knowledge when the woman in this massive crowd touches him and we see his divine power at his heels. So we see that he is divine, that he truly is God. And the crowd, and again, it included the disciples, didn't know who touched him. 
Or even why, why do you care, right? That would have been us, you know, with our heavily spiritually mind, seeing everything, you know, it would have been me at least. I tend to be so practical to a fault at times. When somebody reveals some incredible picture in scripture, I just go, whoa, I've never seen that. And I've taught that passage. (laughs) But she knew something incredible had happened and so did Jesus. And Jesus wanted people to see who he was in this sense, more than a man, but the savior of the world. And God the son had now come in human flesh to save mankind. But we, he was also human. And so when he wanted to know, he wanted, this, he wanted to minister to this lady. He knew the woman's need was greater than just that physical touch. And so look at verse 47. And the woman saw, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she, and again, picture it, you guys. It isn't now, I don't get the impression that now she's some 50 feet away that she touched him and fled. I think this was all real instantly, that she goes through the crowd, she touches him, and then he says what she does, and she's still kind of there, and all of a sudden she goes, I didn't plan on this happening. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And you say, why would she do that? Well, this is a woman that had been shamed all her life. You're unclean. You couldn't come and worship in the synagogue. You couldn't do so many things that other women could do, other people could do. And she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people. Here's, she testifies, it's amazing, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And so, no lecture from Jesus that you broke the law. No condemnation that that you had made other people unclean as you came through that cloud and touched them. No words about coming secretly. What are you afraid of? No. Here's how I interpret it. Just the love of God flowing from his heart to hers. And look at it, you guys. Look at verse 48. These words are so precious. These are words we should mark. He says, daughter. Daughter. Up to that point, she's just been identified of a woman who had bled. But now she's called daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And listen, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus uses that word to address a woman. It's right here. That should tell us something that this is important. See Marvin Pate. He does a great work. If you guys are building a biblical library, he's a book you want to buy on the gospel of Luke. He's so good. But he says this, Jesus cleansed the woman, sending her on her way with a new status, wholeness. The very name daughter signifies that she had now redeemed fellowship with Israel and was no longer a marginal member of society. And he was saying, I think your family. Your family now. You are whole now. You are restored physically. You are restored emotionally. You are restored socially and spiritually by grace and by the power of Jesus. And we'll come back to that as we close this morning. But notice, just like in our day, this is kind of a very fluid scene we're in this morning. Jesus, remember, where is he headed? He's on the way to Jairus' house. And he's interrupted. And so what happens the scene just picks right back up again. He's called, his attention is called in another area. So verse 49, while he was still speaking, 
Someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. And so all this, the woman healed while remembering that Jairus is the synagogue ruler. He's witnessing this too. You can put the scene however you want it. I have Jesus. I have the woman. I have the disciples. And I have Jairus right there as well because I get the impression that him and Jesus are headed to his house. And so we're safe in thinking he is literally just feet away, if that far, from Jesus. And then he hears these words. Are you in the scripture? Are you in the scene? Someone from his house comes and the words no parent wants to hear, your daughter is dead. And I can just imagine what happened right then. And even though we're not told how the news hit him, Jesus knew. Jesus could read his face. He knew his emotions. He knew all things. Look at verse 50. I love it. But Jesus, on hearing this, this answered him. So Jesus heard what that person from his house said, and he answers him, do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And you, can you think of any greater words than that? She will be well. She will live. And who is it coming from? Jesus. And can you think of anyone you'd want to hear that from other than that? The giver of life, he who has all power, is now telling you she's going to be okay. And so now they once again start walking wherever that was, however far it was, I don't know. And I think as much as humanly possible, he is running those words through his head over and over again. Do not fear, only believe, she'll be well. There is no doubt, just like you and I do, isn't it amazing how we could be in the present and our mind could be on something, but in our mind we also are thinking about something else. And so this poor man, no doubt his emotions had just tanked, if you will. But Jesus says, believe. Come on, let's get going. She's going to be okay. Plus, he had just witnessed the impossible. The man had been unable, man had been unable to do to this lady for the past 12 years. And Jairus had just witnessed an instantaneous healing and miracle. And so verse 51, it says, and when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping. And of course, you probably know they would hire mourners that would come and mourning for her. And it was probably in a way, not a out of controlled commotion, but a commotion of types, if you will as they would be, there'd be kind of this, not yelling for the sake of yelling, but there'd be that going on. And he said, and so we go there, and, and when he came to the house, he allowed no one but them. All were weeping, verse 52, and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And note that, that's important. He's talking to those that are weeping and mourning. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once and just stopped for a minute. We know these passages so well at times, we just zoom by this stuff. My goodness, this little girl had died. The parents are just besides themselves. 
And Jesus comes and says, child, arise, and life comes back into her. Remind yourself, you guys, this morning, this is a God we love. This is a God we serve. This is a God that loves us. And so he said, child, arise, verse 55, and her spirit returned to her, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her eat. And her parents were amazed, but he changed, charged them not to tell anybody what had happened. And so for the second time, watch this, the unclean had been made clean. See, when a person died, then their corpse was unclean. And so now there was a woman who had been unclean. There's a child that had been unclean, but Jesus makes both of them whole. And let me say this this morning, that Jesus is the answer for our uncleanness, for our unwholeness, for our brokenness. If you have been alive for any length of time, you know that. All of us have tried other things. All of us have put our hope in other things. All of us have put our effort into other things at time only to come back and say, I can't do it. And that's because you can't do it. But we can grab his garment and he can do it. And so what do we do then, you guys, with this passage? Again, it's not a hard passage to understand, but let me just give you, there's more. And I'm sure maybe for some of you, there's something that is resonating with you. But let me give you four ways that we could think about this passage, that we consider this passage, that we might apply this passage. Because that's our goal, isn't it? We want to come and worship the Lord. This is a worship service. From the beginning to the end, we want to worship him who died for you and I. But we also want to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What is it that I could, that would minister to me right now, but maybe I could take with me this week and think about more that you would have me know? And so let me give you four things. First of all, maybe you today are like one of the mourners as Jairus is at Jairus' home that day. Jesus arrives, maybe even he, uh, the, of what he had just done had spread and got there even before he got there. But um, didn't Jesus give them the same hope? He had given Jairus when he said, do not fear, only believe, and she will live. And now in verse 52, speaking to the mourners, look what he does. He says, do not weep, for she's not dead by sleeping. And we jump to the fact that they're laughing and they're mocking at him. That doesn't he understand that she is dead? Doesn't he know that? Does he know anything? But I love Here's the unconditional love of God in a picture for us that is indirectly, but it's right there in the sense that here are these mourners making fun of him, but he still offers them the same thing, encouragement, hope, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And so Jesus, is he speaking to you this morning? Believe, see who I am, receive me. We know statistically speaking that not every person that comes to a church service on Sunday really has a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to sow seeds of doubt or confusion in any one of you. But I want you to make sure that you could honestly say, I have a relationship with him. That is so crucial, isn't it? It's not information. It's not knowledge. It's not church attendance. It's not works, good works but it's that relationship with him. And so 
in a way, we got to be careful because we could be like the mourners that day. We may not be mocking as they did outwardly that day, but by a rejection of him, maybe having heard about him time and time again, there can be that type of thing going on in our day. And so that could happen. And here we are in the house of God. And if you are in that place of the mourners, you either can not miss the opportunity to grab his garment, or you can miss another opportunity. Number two, where would you put yourself in the crowd? I always like to do this. Who do you identify with in this story? One of the people that day caught up in the excitement around Jesus, curious about that, but not committed? Maybe you relate to one of the disciples more that I, I thought about that because we're not really told their reaction. Well, we know their reaction from after this, they're going to go out and proclaim the gospel and heal. So they were impacted by this. But how do we identify with that? And I love it because I think if I think about it, if I was a disciple, I would just be taking it all in. I would have or my understanding would be stretched my belief would be stretched. Hopefully I'm growing as I'm just watching the Lord work. I was reading this morning in my quiet time about when Jesus walked on the sea and Peter came and Peter freaked out and then he pulled him in and everything else. And I just thought bit by bit, he's showing them who he is and they're coming to understand who he is. And as a follower of Jesus, what is he saying to you this morning? Is it go? Is it believe? Is it have faith in me for your situation, for your life? Let's be honest with ourselves without having to openly confess to one another. Don't you think about your life at times? Don't you think about your future at times, even though you know Christ and he's your Lord and Savior? These are not easy days we live in, you know? If you have investments, you know they're disappearing, you know, you, you see everything just rising and rising in cost. The other night, me and my wife had just one of those serene, peaceful times in marriage when you talk about your finances. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> you want to ruin the evening, just talk about your finances. <laughs> I have to laugh. <laughs> but you understand what I mean, you know. And in all, and I don't know if I've even had time to tell her, but I just feel the Lord says, listen, don't you dare quit trusting in anything else but me. I am your future. I'm the one who will take care of you. But that could be, where are we at? Number three, in Jesus is a word, the woman who had bled for 12 years, do we need to hear that one word this morning? Daughter. And then you put your name in that spot. I realize I have a tendency when I teach to kind of do this, don't I? I kind of tend to, I, I'm sure if you said, Scott, you're kind of dramatic when you teach. Okay, I'll take that. You know, I understand. But I love to just camp out like that and let those things hang so that they will just penetrate us. And maybe this morning you are here today and I don't think I can remind you enough. I remember one of the first times I ever taught here when I first came on staff and I, it wasn't even my notes and I just mentioned something about God loves you. And the reaction I got kind of blew me away of how many people that morning just needed to hear that. And maybe we are here this morning 
And you need to hear the words like that lady heard that day, daughter, and Jesus saying your name. And not so much the title, but that personal, intimate response from Jesus to us. I care. I'll help you. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm who you need. The same thing when he brought the child back to life in verse 54, the words, child arise. John MacArthur tells us that in the original Aramaic, the word Christ spoke here was little girl arise. Intimate, personal. And again, like the daughter, tender, caring, full of power as he who rose from the dead could cause her to rise as well. And then lastly, maybe your need this morning is this. Can I teach this passage without talking about healing? That's the, what the passage is about. That's the obvious application. And I'd have to say to this to you that does God heal every time a person needs healing? No. And if you ask me why, I would tell you, ask God. I do not understand. You know my story. I lost a brother when he was only 24. And I asked that question, why, Lord? You know, it didn't seem as painful at the time. My mom was 92 when she passed away. But now more than ever, I kind of wish my mom was still around. But it's okay. She's in heaven. She's doing good. <laughs> but again, if we need healing this morning, I think we'd be wrong if we aren't going to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you heal me of this? And then you remember the Lord's prayer where he said, not my will, but your will be done. He taught us to pray. But that's in this passage today. And again, I wish God would healed every time we ask of that. But oftentimes God is doing more than just that immediate thing. There's a bigger work that's taking place and going on there. And so that could be a need to you today. And so we're going to go into some worship now. I kind of like to do a worship song and then I'll come back up and lead us in communion and I'll do that this morning. But it's your time now to respond to the Lord. Again, these incredible minds that he's given us can be worshiping him and at the same time saying something to him and asking for something of him. We can praise and request. It's amazing. So do that this morning. And if you are here today and you have a need, whatever it could be, if you don't know Christ, if you need his touch, if you need his assurance, if you need to be healing, ask. I often tell people this in my counseling, is so often we make this simple mistake. We forget to go to God and say, help me, because he always wants to help us. Amen. Amen.